Born in North Carolina, based in Bellingham, Washington. Broadcast on WHUPLP, this is Dirty White Bell Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, This is Dirty White Belt Radio, stories about jiu-jitsu life and culture. James 300 Foster is a renaissance man, a lover of jiu-jitsu, of art, of charity work, and of open-minded attitudes. I met him at his academy in Kent, Washington, where he hosted 10th Planet athletes Nathan Orchard and Phil Schwartz for a joint seminar. He walked in carrying a Chewbacca lunchbox, and I knew this was going to be a great conversation. James Foster is also an accomplished jiu-jitsu competitor, having won the Black Belt Masters World Championship. We talked about that about how marketing labels can undermine the growth of jiu-jitsu, about what each jiu-jitsu belt level means to him, and about his favorite comic artists. Plus, we talked about how he uses jiu-jitsu as a tool to make a difference in people's lives. We'll get to that in just a second. But for now, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play so you don't miss anything. If you want to get a hold of us to suggest future show topics, you can email jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com or get at us on Instagram at dirtywhitebelt or on our Facebook page. You can actually also check out Professor James's podcast, The Spartan Underground, which we talk about during our featured interview with James 300 Foster. Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. Yes, Jeff Shaw. How do you like that new gi you've been wearing from Gold BJJ, the Calavera gi? I like it a lot, but I like the compliments I get when I'm wearing it even more. What do you like about it? So it's a little bit like me. It's minimalist and clean on the outside and a little flashy on the inside. Uh, and what I mean by that is it has this really gorgeous rash guard liner. Um, the outside is super clean, white, ready to be all patched up. But on the inside, um, it has sugar skulls. And it's a super soft rash guard liner. But man, people really love it and they notice. And it makes me feel kind of fancy when I'm wearing it. The other thing I like about Gold BJJ is their no-hassle guarantee for a year. If anything goes wrong with the gear, if you're just dissatisfied with it, they'll take it back, no questions asked. I think that's a pretty good deal, and coming in at less than 100 bucks, I would buy this gi over and over. Plus, if you're a listener to this show, which you are because you're listening to the show, you can get a discount by entering Dirty White Belt 10 at checkout. So go to goldbjj.com, enter Dirty White Belt 10 at checkout, and get a discount on an already reasonably priced gi. Thanks for supporting the people who support this show. So, Professor James, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me Hey, today. thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, how long have you been here at this facility? We've been in this spot since 2010. So, this was the, the big upgrade. Uh, the first place we had outgrew it in, like, the first year. <laughs> and we're on a three-year lease. Um, thankfully, we were able to add classes and things and, and uh, make our full commitment there. But then... Uh, had to find a bigger space and this is it so we've been here for wow i guess july was eight years crazy it has to be gratifying too to grow so soon i mean i imagine that creates its own problems but it shows you that people like yeah it was definitely a good problem to have so uh no complaints at all, but it did make things a little interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really cool to see the response and to see um, the demand for what we offer and being able to kind of grow that quick provided some challenges, but uh, definitely worth it in the long run. Mm-hmm. 
I want to talk to you about your competition career eventually, but let's start out by talking about you as an instructor. Um, when people think about when you think about your school, you know, jujitsu is good for so many things for like self improvement, self defense, definitely s- sport competition. How do you think of your school? Uh, I think that my school is <clears throat> very well rounded and open to accepting information from all different styles, all different forms of grappling, uh, all different forms of martial arts. So I think, uh, you know, if you think you know it all, <laughs> you probably don't know very much. You know, one of those, the more you think you know, the less you know type of things. So um, the seminar is a great example, bringing in some 10th Planet guys to show some great no-gi jiu-jitsu. Um, I think all the labeling and thing hurts. It, it hurts the, uh, people's growth overall. So, you know, people want to put labels for marketing purposes. You know, we do no-gi or we do uh, Gracie self-defense jujitsu, or we do sport jujitsu. Like everybody puts a label. It's mainly for marketing. And really, I think you need to be open to accepting information. If it's good information, you should be open to receive it and, and, uh, take from it the, the good things that you find that fit your game. What are some of the, the best seminars that you think you've brought in here where you're like, wow, that was really interesting, that blew my mind, that guy was really good, that woman changed Yeah, pretty much things. everyone we've had has been, like, really good. Um, some that stand out in my mind would be uh, Christian Woods-Manzi. He did a phenomenal seminar, and it was the first time we had a, a, a smaller turnout in a seminar here, so I was kind of disappointed in that because, man, he deserves such a bigger showing than he got, but I don't think uh, a lot of people uh, are familiar with who he is, uh, or at least they weren't at that time. And then uh, it was on a Sunday because it was he was flying in to go somewhere else and while he was here we threw something together so uh, but that one was phenomenal just highly detail oriented great concepts uh, and henry akins yeah and henry puts on a mind-blowing seminar no joke like some of the things that he showed me uh i was fortunate enough to be able to sit in on a private lesson he did with one of my students and I use all that stuff to this day. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. The the hype of the hidden jujitsu is real. Like it was very good stuff and very uh applicable and kinda made me scratch my head and say, Why has jujitsu kind of lost? You know, why has this got lost in the ether and the details on these techniques is seemingly simple stuff but mind blowing, game changing details. So that one, those are the two that uh, most recently that really stand out in my head. But every one of them we've had here has been really, really good. Yeah, on the topic of open-mindedness and old-school jiu-jitsu, one of the things that, that jumped out at me about what you said is there's all these techniques that people consider old-school or like classic jiu-jitsu, stuff like the closed guard yeah. or the collar choke from closed guard. I feel like there's so much about there's so much depth just yeah. in those positions. Well, and how much modern jiu-jitsu is really modern? Because I don't know if you saw that video that came out of the judo players, like black and white footage from doing like in the forties, <laughs> like doing X guard and feeding the lapel and doing barambolos and stuff. So I mean, I th- I think a lot uh, of a lot of it's got lost over the years. I think a lot of the stuff that we think we've come up with has been done before, just maybe wasn't named and marketed and all this. Um, Worm guard is a perfect g- example. Uh, probably about four to five years before Worm Guard got named and became a thing, one of my instructor's students, I rolled with him, and he was doing Worm Guard. I had no clue what he was doing, but then looking back, I'm like, oh, that's that's what he was doing five years prior to it becoming this, you know, the huge rage that it is uh, right now or was a couple years ago. So, I mean, I think it just goes to show you that there's probably people out there doing stuff that we've never seen. Uh, that's the beauty of jiu-jitsu. It's going to keep evolving and stuff's going to uh, either be discovered or be rediscovered over and over and over. And stuff that was popular 10 years ago will become popular again now and vice versa. It's the whole ebb and flow of things. 
so certainly all the stuff that you learn, you bring to bear as an instructor. And one question I want to ask about your own teaching style is, how do you construct a fundamentals curriculum? Because like you said, there's so much information out there. What do you think are the fundamentals? For me, for fundamentals, um, like if you were coming in my academy, you're a brand new person uh, that tells me you've never done any jujitsu. Um, I'm going to start you off with, with defense and survival. Because more than likely, when you do start rolling, where are you going to be? Are you going to be pulling off arm bars from your clothes guard, or are you going to be stuck on the bottom underneath somebody? A lot of times, you're going to be stuck in a bad spot, not know what to do, and need the, the tools to survive. So for me, with a new person, we're working how to survive on the bottom, how to escape the bottom, how to protect your neck, how to protect your arms, all of those type of things. I think a lot of people, they get excited to show people how cool jiu-jitsu is and want to show them a cool arm bar, a cool choke right out the gate. And it's like, yeah, that stuff's cool. But if, they're, if, if somebody's in their guard and they've never trained before, probably you're going to be able to keep that person in their guard for about two seconds and then their guard is going to be passed and they're going to be stuck. They're never going to, never going to have time to try that cool arm bar you showed them or the cool choke. So I think you have to have a kind of an order in which you uh, work from as far as fundamentals go and as far as making sure that you give somebody something that's going to benefit them right out the gate. Um, my idea is that if you never come back and train again, I want you to leave with something that could possibly uh, protect you or help you survive. So that's my whole thing. Even if the person never comes back after that intro class, they might glean something from that fundamental lesson that they can take and apply somewhere down the road. To piggyback off that, one thing I love to ask instructors, especially instructors of an open-minded bent, is advice for blue belts. Because, you know, it's certainly, your logic makes perfect sense to me about a brand new person. It's like, hey, we're going to teach you to survive. What, what about, you know, somebody that's been doing it a year, maybe a year and a half, somebody that's just got that blue belt. Maybe they know some fundamentals and are just starting on their journey. What advice would you have for those people in terms of improvement and how would you go about teaching those folks? Um, my approach to teaching them wouldn't be uh, very different than anybody else. It would be consistency, you know, consistently coming in and training. I think about a year in is when you really start having uh, those light bulb moments and you're kind of developing an overall understanding of what jiu-jitsu is or what you think jiu-jitsu is um and you probably have all sorts of disconnected pieces that maybe you're seeing those little puzzle pieces fit into place here and there i think it's important to kind of narrow your focus and look at areas of your game that you have the most trouble with that's something i suggest to everybody why are you going to come in and play your a game all the time when there's several glaring holes in your game. Those are the spots you need to be going. If people are not able to put you there, you need to be putting yourself there. And I think uh, the ego gets in the way of that process a lot of times because, of course, you don't want to you don't want to get smashed. You don't want to be in a bad spot. Nobody likes tapping out, though it's an integral part of the learning process. And the only way to to uh, grow is to put yourself out there and, and be willing to make mistakes, be willing to be in those uncomfortable positions. So eventually there are no uncomfortable positions, ideally. So I think you have to be open to the process and open to taking the time to repair and mend those little holes in your game and try to become well-rounded. Um, and it's all easier said than done. <laughs> it's one of those things where you get into jiu-jitsu, there's so much information. Uh, nowadays, especially, unlimited resources. YouTube, you could sit on YouTube for 20 hours and every day and probably still not run out of free technique videos to look at. So, granted, the quality on all of them might not be the to the same level, but you could literally sit there for years watching free technique and never run out. So when I started, I had the opposite problem. 
There was no information. We were trying to look at uh, bootleg recordings of, of UFC and reverse engineer what we were seeing Hoist Gracie do. And I'll never forget, there was one book on jiu-jitsu, and it was spelled the right way, you know, for Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and it was grappling techniques. And there was a guy on the cover wearing a big gold chain and a tank top, it looked kind of like a Italian guy or something, and it was a jiu-jitsu book. So we all had that book and would try to learn stuff out of there as well. Now we have the complete opposite problem. We have information overload. So I think getting people to narrow their focus down to a particular area of their game where they have a weakness and getting them to focus on repairing those areas is integral to to everybody, but especially a, a blue belt who's just starting to get their legs and they're still in that stage where you are setting yourself up for the rest of your jiu-jitsu journey. And you're trying to, or at least myself as an instructor, I'm trying to neutralize any bad habits that they have, either prior to that point of them getting their blue belt or during their first, you know, the beginning of their blue belt journey, really trying to get them to focus on correcting bad habits, not setting themselves up with habits that they keep until they're a black belt and then go, oh man, now I've got a lot of work to do. I have all these things that I neglected that I could have been working on as a white or a blue belt that I wish I would have. And you see that happen a lot, especially people that take a break in their training and come back. And it's like, man, that none of that stuff works on anybody anymore. Like, well, yeah, they've all been evolving and, and you still have those holes in your game from before that we were never had the time to fix. And now we need to take the time to fix those and, and try to, you know, make your game complete. U.S. Grappling comes back to Richmond on July 28th. Richmond is always one of my favorite places to visit and to compete. Tons of great gyms there. Seth Smith's Upstream BJJ, Richmond BJJ with Eric Burdo and Liz Susson, and of course Revolution BJJ featuring such luminaries as Andrew Smith, Daniel Charles Frank, Trey Martin, Jarrett Church, many, many others. All of those folks are likely to be on the scene July 28th when U.S. Grappling returns to Richmond. Plus, all your friends from the DMV usually come down, as well as everybody from the Triangle, from Wilmington, really tough grapplers from North Carolina. It's a great spot to train with and compete against people that you don't always get the chance. So come out and have the best tournament experience around at usgrappling.com. Register early to save some money and to make the tournament run smoother. Hopefully we'll see you there. What do the different belt levels mean to you? You've just explored, like, what, you know, the blue belt, I think, very articulately. But, like, what, what do you think as an instructor? What do the belt levels mean to you? Uh, for me, like, I would say purple. What I look for, if we're, you know, we kind of touched on white and blue and, you know, building those fundamentals, getting rid of bad habits. Um, purple belt, I'm looking for people who are also able to convey and teach the jiu-jitsu that they know. I think that's incredibly important. Uh, even if they never plan on becoming a jiu-jitsu instructor, you still need to be able to convey the information. You still need to be able to help the new guy out that you're working with who's never trained before. You have to be able to explain the details and show him how to do an arm bar, how to do a choke, how to escape side control. I think instructing and, and learning how to teach and learning how to pass on your jiu-jitsu to others and help people that are just getting into jiu-jitsu, I think that's a huge aspect of, of purple. Uh, brown and black. Brown, you pretty much, most people at brown belt, due to the nature of jiu-jitsu and how long it takes to get to that point, most people at that stage, they know about as much as they're going to know when they get their black belt, for the most part. There may be little tweaks and fine-tuning uh, that they need to do, but really the, the journey starts when you get your black belt, <laughs> as cliche as that sounds. I always would hear people say that, and I, I would kind of laugh and go, oh, that's, that's so cliche. They're saying that you, know, it, you basically start over when you get your black belt. It's true. <laughs> you realize it when you get there. You're like, wow. I'm learning way more now than I did than all the years prior. 
like myself personally, I've been doing jiu-jitsu now for, gosh, going on 22 years. And been a black belt since 2005. So what, 13? Mm -hmm. Wow. Too early to be doing math. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I honestly feel like I'm just starting to understand jiu-jitsu. After all this time, like I'm just now starting to get it. And to me, that's really cool because I came from a background in karate and the style of karate that I did, you know, I got my black belt in karate after about six years and I trained in karate for almost 10 years. And I got to a point after black belt where I felt like I wasn't learning anything new where I wasn't refining. I I was just going through the motions of doing the same things that I'd done in in the past and I wasn't really learning any new concepts or it didn't feel like my my overall understanding of karate was growing and I've never felt that way with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I think that's one of the unique things about our style is you never feel like you know it all <laughs> constantly evolving constantly growing constantly learning if you have the open-minded approach I can't tell you how much I identify with that. Like, and and to hear it from someone like yourself who's been doing it more than twenty years and who is also an accomplished competitor as well as an instructor, it's got to be both. You know, I, I see people get frustrated by that and people get inspired by that. Yeah. But it's like, hey, you know, if I've been doing this ten years and in another thirteen, I'm still going to be learning, maybe yeah. at a more geometric rate. That's pretty exciting. It is. It's really exciting, and it it keeps it fresh and it keeps it fun. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the beautiful things about jiu-jitsu is that it, it allows you to uh, work the practical application of the techniques you're learning in a live struggle every time you roll, which is very unique. You know, you can't do that in all martial arts. You can't full-out punch somebody in the face <laughs> as hard as you can repeatedly. You're not going to have a very long training session or many training partners, right? But jiu-jitsu, we actually get to uh, apply things without you know, pulling any punches, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of martial arts, they they use what they call focus and and stopping a punch uh, an inch from somebody's face. You can't make contact. Unfortunately, you're building that into your muscle memory. With jiu-jitsu, we get to constantly work on what what we uh, want to apply, and we can do so without hurting our training partners as long as we're smart and we make sure that you know we're not cranking on something after they've already tapped i mean we can tap move on continue learn from the mistake and and practice everything you know practice what we preach so to speak uh every time we train and know that it actually works and know what it feels like to be in an actual uh grappling struggle with somebody an actual uh close to an altercation type of feeling, especially if you compete. Yeah, and let's talk about that sort of dichotomy, because you mentioned before, you know, jiu-jitsu, at least at the beginning, and arguably through the whole thing, is about survival and defense. Definitely. But you've also been an active competitor. You won the Black Belt Master World Championship in 2015. How do you think, and I want to talk to you about that achievement as well, but first, what do you think of the relationship between competition jiu-jitsu, sport jiu-jitsu, and self-defense jiu-jitsu? Do you think that's a complementary relationship? or Absolutely. I think you should train everything. And I think the divide between those two labels isn't as great as everybody wants to make it. If you really look at things, um, Andre Galvao, he would be considered a sport guy, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think he's going to, your average Joe on the street is going to give him any trouble? I would think not. I don't think so, right? So that's a sport guy. We could name a lot of other sport guys. And you, Ryan Hall was was a sport guy. You've seen the video of him dealing with the guy in the restaurant, right? The belligerent guy. Um, so really, I think if you're teaching jiu-jitsu properly, there's not this huge divide that everybody wants to use for marketing purposes. Uh, granted, if you're teaching a game that solely relies on having to feed the lapel and do all sorts of crazy stuff, yeah, then you're showing very sport-specific stuff. But really, I think if you're showing fundamentally sound jiu-jitsu, it's, it's very applicable to self-defense. I don't personally know anyone that trains sport jiu-jitsu 
who's got you know altercation that hasn't been able to defend themselves just fine. So I, I think both are important. Uh, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. I think you need to be open to working everything and taking the things from all those different aspects that are good and that you like and add them to your game. The goal is to have complete and overall mastery of all things grappling. That's my goal. Grappling, including takedowns, including self-defense, including sports stuff, including 10th Planet stuff, including stuff from Sambo that's good. Mm-hmm. Whatever whatever label's on it, if it's good, I'm going to learn it, I'm going to be open to receiving it, and I'm going to add it to my game, and I'm going to pass it on to my students. Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. Yes, Jeff Shaw. You know I'm a big fan of the right bag for the right purpose. I am, in fact, aware of your giant bag collection. It's true. I do have a lot of bags. But my favorite new bag is this one I got from Gold BJJ, which I've been taking to training, which I've been taking on hikes, and which I've been taking around town, even for grocery shopping. It's got features that make it perfect for all of those things, including the one thing I'm a big fan of, which is this expandable gi pouch, so that after training, when your gi is wet, you can keep it separated, and your gi stays wet and nasty while everything else in your bag stays dry and clean. (laughs) Another great thing about the bag is that listeners of Dirty White Belt get a discount. Just go to goldbjj.com and enter Dirty White Belt 10 at checkout. Don't forget the Gold BJJ guarantee. Every product they make, including this backpack, their geese, their soap, is guaranteed for a year. They have a no hassle, no questions asked, return exchange and guarantee policy. If I'm being really honest, I actually love this bag too. So um, instead of fighting over it, I think I'm going to get another one. Well, you can get your own at goldbjj.com. Just don't forget to enter Dirty Wet Belt 10 at checkout. Thanks to Gold BJJ, and thanks to all of you for supporting the companies that support this show. And your game has proven successful. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, 2015, you win the Black Belt Master World Championship. Do you think that's the achievement you're most proud of in jiu-jitsu? Or is there something else? Um, honestly, the, the thing I'm most proud of is how I've been able to use my, my limited reach in the jiu-jitsu world to help other people and be involved with a lot of different charities and causes that I believe in, um, doing a lot of fundraising and things like that. So for me, that and, and the students that come out of here and the type of people they are, uh, you know, being good humans, not only being good at jiu-jitsu, but, but being good human beings out in the world and helping others. Um, for me, that's that's what I'm most proud of. And that's something that will be gone and will be passed on you know that it'll still be here after I'm long gone. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, if if anything is my legacy and what I'm remembered for, I'd like it to be that, and not what medals I've achieved and all these different things. Because I know a lot of world champions, and those medals are sitting in a drawer somewhere, getting dusty, <laughs> and a lot of people don't even remember that they won that competition. Like. Nobody cares. If you want perspective uh, outside of our sphere of people who think jiu-jitsu is cool and are into jiu-jitsu, like, go to the mall and tell somebody you do jiu-jitsu. They're going to make a karate chop thing and, and go hi-ya and say, oh, is that like karate? My, my uh, nephew's a black belt. He's five years old. That's what's going to happen. That's, that's a good way to gain perspective. Like, to us, it's really cool. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean a lot, honestly. It's it's really cool. It's a nice resume piece. It, it was a cool achievement. It is something I'm very proud of, but more because of what it represented for me. Um, had dealt with a lot of trage- tragedy leading up to that. Had a student pass away from cancer. Had another student find out he had cancer. Young student, like probably... 17, 18 years old at the time. Um, Another one of my students got in a horrible accident at work and became paralyzed. All of this occurred in the lead up to that. So my approach for that competition was that I was, I was going out there for them. Like I was, I was doing it for them. It wasn't for me. Um, 
I was going out there to try to achieve something great for those those people going through those adversities. And there's another uh, uh, kid named Lewis. You go to hope hopeforlewis.com, battling uh, horrible autoimmune disease, and he was another one that that I took out there with me. You know, and, and actually he. Uh, you know, it's hard to not get choked up talking about this stuff because it means a lot to me. But actually found out that because back then, uh, Master Worlds 2015, you would compete all the way through, uh, through the quarterfinals on the first day on Friday. And then semifinals and finals were Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I had competed and won my two matches on Friday it was all banged up, and <laughs> there's a great picture of me, like, with ice packs all over, you know, recovering the, that night and wondering how I was going to pull everything together and, and win the semifinal and the final the next day. But I found out that uh, the kid, Lewis, he he was so inspired by me competing that day that he went and entered a local competition that was going on. Wow. And competed and won. And, you know, so to me, that was like, I found that out right before I went on the podium and I just lost it mm-hmm. and, and broke down because it, it was so special to me, you know, just seeing that, you know, he was so m- motivated by seeing what I had done the day before that he went and this is a kid that literally couldn't get out of bed, no energy, um, battling this disease. And he was so motivated and inspired by what I was doing that he went out and and uh, competed and won. So it was really cool, really cool to me. We'll put a link to HopeForLewis.com in the comments. The yeah, that would be so awesome. Yeah, out. he's actually, um, they, they don't know why, but he's actually uh, doing really well right now. That's great. Kind of uh, inexplicably. I don't know if, if growing and, and growing up and stuff is helping. But, uh, yeah, it was really cool to see an update the other day that he was doing better so yeah definitely link to that definitely check that out because that's it's a really good person really good family you know dealing with this horrible uh hand that they've been dealt what do you think it is about jujitsu that helps build strong people to go out and be good people the way you described and how do you as an instructor try to use jujitsu's power to influence people's lives in a positive way I try to help people see where the lessons uh, from jiu-jitsu can be taken and applied to everyday life. Um, I think that's important. I also stress to my students that it doesn't matter if you're a good person when you're in here on the mat, if you're a horrible person outside the academy. And I also stress to them that they are a representative of myself of my instructor, of my instructor's instructor, everybody from the past that, like, you guys are representatives for our jiu-jitsu and what we do here. So be very mindful with how you carry yourself out in the real world, how you treat people. Because ultimately, it all comes back to here. It all comes down from the top to them, and then what they choose to do with it, how they take it and apply it in the real world is up to them ultimately, but I try to stress the importance of that responsibility. You mentioned some of your various charitable projects. Another project of yours I want to make sure the listeners know about is you have your own podcast as well, The Spartan Underground. Yeah, The Spartan Underground. Uh, 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 (laughs) The Spartan Underground. I was just getting ready to take a drink of water to avoid that happening. It's okay. We'll do the miracle of audio editing. It'll be be epic. (laughs) Leave it in. It'll be funny. (laughs) Got me all choked up talking about the charity stuff um yeah the spartan underground so i've had a lot of great guests on there i've had henry akins uh ty gay christian woods Manzi was on there a lot of great guests uh keith owen was actually my first one phenomenal 
good friend of mine, Amazing Jiu-Jitsu, and uh, I think that's still the highest listened to episode on the podcast. So I want to say there's like 13 episodes on there now. I haven't got them out as regularly as I would like, but it's on iTunes, Google Play, all the normal places that you can find podcasts. So yeah, check it out, the Spartan Underground. I've also had people uh, on the podcast who aren't from the Jiu-Jitsu world. Um, I have a few friends that are professional comic book artists. So I've had uh, my friend Tom Nguyen, who's an inker for DC Comics, a longtime artist, and uh, my friend Ron Garney, who's a big-time Marvel Comics artist for for many, many years. So I, I was very fortunate to be able to have them on as well. And then it goes into some other geeky stuff that I'm into, like Star Wars and stuff like that. So. I think you're speaking my language and the language of many other listeners, and there's a lot of uh, overlap, a surprising amount of overlap between jujitsu, which has its own type of martial creativity, and other creativity in art. Yes. So I'm wondering, like, what are the best comics that you're reading right now? Do you have favorite artists, favorite writers? So I've always followed comics based on the artists, because I'm into art and I'm into drawing. So my absolute... Favorite artist is Ryan Otley, who who did Invincible. Invincible has since ended. They actually ended it, which is rare in comics, right? Keep dragging things along, but they, I believe, 144 issues. I might be wrong. People have to fact check, but they uh, they actually ended the comic, like had a had an ending, which was really cool. Uh, and he is going to be. Which is funny because I saw him at a convention. I always buy his original artwork. And a couple of years ago, I was he was talking about the end of Invincible and couldn't say what he was doing next. And I said, "Dude, I'm like, you're meant to draw Spider-Man. Like, you're that's what you're cut out to do." And he he was kind of like smiled and hemmed and hawed about it because I think he probably had already been offered the job back then, but. Next month, his first issue, they're doing a Amazing Spider-Man number one with Ryan Otley doing the art. So he's my absolute favorite. Um, all the classic guys from the Image days back in the '90s. That's what I came up with. I actually worked for Todd McFarlane's brother-in-law. Wow! And that was my first job at 16 years old. Worked at a comic book shop uh, called The Spider's Web, and it was co-owned by uh, Todd McFarlane and his brother-in-law, Kim. And so I worked there for a couple of years, got to meet all the different artists when they would come in for signings and things. And, yeah, I came up in the Image Comic days, you know, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Will Spertaccio, Mark Silvestri, all of those guys were, like, big influences for me and still are. Um so yeah, I've just been a, a big nerd, literally and figuratively, for many years. <laughs> Have you been drawing yourself for basically your whole life? Uh, I've been drawing more seriously probably since I was about 15 or 16. Um, and I've made it more of a priority and made more time for it recently, like within the last year. Um I would reach stages where I would get to where I was seeing a lot of improvement and then I would stop. It's just like anything else. It's a degradating skill, so you have to maintain, you have to practice every day, just like jiu-jitsu. You know, it's one of those things where you will lose it if you're not using it. So um, now I make a point to draw every day and practice, and I've actually finished a few... Uh, pieces that I'm pretty proud of recently. So for me, a big thing was always doing anatomy studies and sketching and never finishing stuff. You know, my wife and I have been together this uh, September will be 17 years that we've been, uh, you know, since we started dating, since we met each other. And she's always given me a hard time for never finishing stuff. So the whole goal this past year has been actually finishing stuff, whether I'm completely happy with it or not making the mistakes, moving forward, learning from them, and finishing pieces, which you could apply that to jiu-jitsu, right? you got to make mistakes in order to see growth and improve, learn from those mistakes, and move forward. We get paralyzed with trying to be perfect. 
it's interesting that echoes Gustavo Dantas, who we had on the podcast last nice. time. Nice BJJ Mental Coach. Exactly. Yeah, I'm actually a member on there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting because he said almost an exact, a really similar idea. Where I asked him, you know, what's the most common mistake you see among people make? The most common mental mistake yeah. you say, and he's like, assuming things have to be perfect. Yeah, you know, move forward and make the mistakes. You even see it when people are working, uh, when people are drilling technique. How many times have you yourself or have you seen somebody where they start to work the move and they mess a step up or they think they messed a step up and they go back to the very start? Oh, I need to start over. There's no do-over when you're rolling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're live rolling, if you make a mistake, you need to adjust and move forward. Black belts make mistakes too. They just get masked because we move on so quickly to the next thing that people don't even realize that we made a mistake. But I make mistakes all the time. Stuff backfires all the time when I'm rolling and I'm really being open with my game and trying stuff. I mess up all the time. But I move on from it so quickly. I make that little mental check mark, the mental check marker, the note in my brain that that's something I need to address. But I'm already on to the next thing and catching a different sweep or a different submission and just going with the flow, or as Hickson would say, flowing with the go, right? So that's something I think is really important. It goes all the way back to even when you're drilling. If you mess up one of the steps when you're drilling, make the adjustment and complete your repetition. Don't start over. There's no do-overs. When you're rolling, you're not going to get to start over. You're not going to be able to say, hey, wait a minute, can I go back to when I had that grip and I was trying to do this? It's never going to happen in a, in a actual competitive live roll. Uh, and that's something you can apply when you're at the drilling or, or practicing technique stage that can help you with that follow through and not paralyzing yourself. And the other thing I see people uh, do is overanalyze paralyzation through overanalyzation because they don't want to make a mistake or they think coach is watching. Oh my God, coach is looking at me and then they mess up. Don't worry about it. Everybody messes up. None of us instantly pick things up. Some people may learn quicker than others, but we all go through the same process. We all have the same struggles. We're all human. (laughs) We're going to make mistakes. You have to accept the mistakes, learn from them, and move forward. That's That's the secret. And consistency. If you apply both of those concepts, you'll have a great jiu-jitsu journey. And you'll continue to grow and continue to learn throughout your jiu-jitsu career. But a lot of people paralyze themselves. We see it all the time. I certainly identify with that. I certainly do it. But it's normal, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody does it. Quick story from an old U.S. grappling tournament. U.S. grappling has always had the best tournaments around for both kids and adults, but Jason Bumpkin Wingate from Gracie Raleigh, a brown belt with tons of experience, was tasked with the kids' matches one day. Now, they always put their most experienced and best referees on the kids' matches because that's the future of the sport. The consequences are a little higher, and they just want people to be able to pay closer attention. Now, often, referees are underappreciated. It's a really tough job, and it's thankless. Nobody notices when you do it perfectly. Everybody notices when you screw it up. But Jason did such a great job that day that U.S. Grappling got letters from multiple parents about how attentive he was, about how he was right on top of the action, and about how clearly he cared about the kid's experience. That's the type of experience that I've come to expect from years of competing at U.S. Grappling. You can register online right now for U.S. Grappling Columbia, South Carolina on June 30th and U.S. Grappling Charlotte July 14th. It's going to be a lot of fun. Save you some money by registering early at usgrappling.com. I just have a couple more questions because we got to go to the side. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, Jess Munter, uh, we got one listener question. From oh, Jess, Jess Munter. is awesome. Jess is awesome. She's moving to Bellingham. Oh, to, wow. Uh, Very cool. Going to Western. So congratulations, Yeah, she Jess. just won a, a big competition, too. Yeah, Para Jiu-Jitsu competition out in Abu Dhabi. Phenomenal. So, yeah, yeah. So, Very proud of her. Yeah, well done, Jess. Shout out. Awesome. Um, so she wanted to know about your relationship with cats. Cats. Yes, I'm a cat person. Uh, actually, I love all animals, but uh, our lifestyle is better suited for 
before having cats because we're gone a lot and I don't feel that we could um, do justice to properly having a dog but I love all animals Um, but yeah I've had cats my whole life and uh, my cats are like my kids Neither my wife or I want kids or ha- or have ever wanted kids. So we're, we're those weird, quote-unquote weird people that don't want kids. So our cats are our children, basically. Um, very spoiled, but still treated like animals. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't go overboard with it. Um, but yeah, absolutely love cats. All of our cats are, are rescues in some form. Um, one of our most loving cats is a like a Maine Coon mm-hmm. mix big big cat and he was completely feral when we got him completely wild little kitten and uh, took me about two months to tame him but man you wouldn't know actually some of our other ones you would think that they were originally the feral ones by how they act and how they're scared of things and stuff but he's like the most loving uh cat and he's he's the most like a dog he fetches taught him how to shake high five wave he does all the dog tricks so i'm kind of fulfilled in the dog area through (laughs) that cat because he has a lot of dog-like traits but absolutely love cats so is there anything that I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about or anything else that you would just like folks to know? Oh, man. Um, well, going back to some of the causes that I'm involved with that are important to me, um, and you may have mentioned some of these on your podcast before, I don't know, but uh, Mission 22 is a huge one. Um, you know, raising awareness for the suicide epidemic they're specifically targeting veteran suicide, but I think the just the suicide epidemic overall needs more focus and the stigma that uh, mental health issues have needs to we need to be more open and understanding with that type of stuff. So Mission 22 does a lot of things involving that. And the Weedify Foundation is a huge one for me. They actually provide training resources for disabled veterans with PTSD and depression and all these different things that they often battle with, they provide them with the ability to train in jiu-jitsu and experience all of the positive benefits that jiu-jitsu has to offer. And somebody asked me this before, why jiu-jitsu, like, why does it resonate so well with, with the veterans? I think it's because you have a structure rank uniform like you you kind of have a leader kind of directing you what to do a lot of the similar things that they know from being in the in the service so jiu-jitsu is like a game changer for those guys and gals um i have one gentleman in here on the we defy program who literally had trouble going outside couldn't be around people um severe social anxiety after three months of training in jiu-jitsu he went and did a open mic stand-up comedy and now he's into getting on stage and doing stand-up comedy is a guy that literally couldn't even leave his house and and be around people so if that doesn't show how powerful it can be i don't know what does <laughs> that's the greatest example um the other thing i would just like to say like I enjoy when people reach out and they have questions about jiu-jitsu, they want advice. I'm not one of those kind of people where you have to buy a product from me in order for me to invest in you. So if you want to reach out, you have a question about training, need advice, whatever it may be, I always enjoy it when people reach out on my social media, Um, you know, James300Foster on Instagram. Facebook, all the different places, Twitter, uh, try to keep it consistent. And the 300 is not because I weigh 300 pounds. Just clear that up. It's because I was given the nickname when my beard was really long. I looked like Leonidas from 300. I have been 300 pounds before. I will say that, but you know, about 275, 280, so... But everybody always thinks that. Oh, is that because you weigh 300 pounds? No, 
<laughs> I would n- I would never have assumed that. <laughs> well, Professor James, thanks so much for taking this time today. I really enjoyed Man, it. Man, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'd like to have you on my podcast sometime. I'd be thrilled. That would be, be awesome. That would be great. Thanks to Professor James for speaking with me and for hosting a great seminar. Hey, if you're listening to this in North Carolina, I want to invite you to join the great folks at Team Hoist Gracie Southern Pines for the Ian Matuzak Memorial Foundation Rollathon on July 15th. This event's going to raise funds for a wonderful charity that supports and enables adaptive jujitsu athletes all around the world. The facility has a huge mat space across three rooms. I've trained there a whole bunch, and it's a great space. On July 15th, they're also going to have an extremely cool raffle and purchase items from Hicks and Gracie, Henzo Gracie, Shanji Hibero, and more. There's just a suggested $15 donation at the door to benefit the Ian Matuzak Memorial Foundation. Go check it out, July 15th in North Carolina. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play, so please do so you don't miss anything. If you want to get a hold of us, you can always email jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com or hit us up on Instagram at dirtywhitebelt. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next Sunday.